Let me invite you now to stand for the scripture reading. We're in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and welcome to 2022. If you're still writing 2021 on checks and documents, it's 2022. And we're back in Romans, and last week you heard, and you can go on our website and download the sermon and listen to it, you heard this all-important passage. It's really a pivotal passage in Romans that applies all this great glorious truth, all this doctrinal truth comes down to a phrase, being a living sacrifice. And we're going to unpack more of that today, what living as a living sacrifice means and presenting our bodies, our spiritual gifts within the context of the church community, all of what that looks like, that God might be glorified. So we're in Romans 12, and I'll begin in verse 9, and I'll read through verse 21 here. Hear God's word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, may we take the words of life to heart today, and would you work by your Spirit in each of our lives to sanctify us, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Last August, I got a phone call from someone who live streams our worship service, and they were live streaming our worship, worship service in part, checking us out so that they would maybe one day come and visit. And so they're live streaming our worship service, and uh, they had some questions about our church and about me and different things, and I'm answering, I'm going through my sales pitch, you know, and I'm getting excited because I'm thinking to myself, ah, maybe this live streaming, maybe there's actually something to it, and maybe this would be the first person to join the church, having come in through live streaming. So I'm excited, and we're talking. And then this individual who's live streaming our worship services and sort of doing their research 
asked me a question. And they said, are you an affirming church? Are you an affirming church? And I don't know if you know, but in ministry and with regard to churches, what this means is, do you affirm the homosexual lifestyle? Do you affirm same-sex marriage? There's a lot of freight behind this question of are you an affirming church? And I answered, no, we're not. And I went on to explain that we believe in the biblical definition of marriage between one man and one woman, and that the gift of sexuality that God has given to people is best preserved in the marriage, a forever marriage relationship. And so we talked through that and had a conversation with that. And I could tell, you know, this was something that this individual did not agree with. And I was doing my best to be loving and be true to God's word at the same time. That's sometimes challenging, isn't it? It's challenging for me. And in this discussion, this individual explained to me, and maybe you're live streaming. If you're live streaming, I hope you take me up on the challenge I'm about to, to issue to you. One of the things that was explained to me was how their doctrine had changed. And they explained to me that at one time they believed the way I did, and then they had a child who came out as gay and then met a partner, and, and they had witnessed the beautiful love, beautiful in quotes, that they had for each other, and then that had experientially caused them to change their doctrine. Do you understand? That's very, there, there's a lot of power in the experience, in the emotion that undercuts God's truth about marriage and about sexuality, and that this is what had convinced them. And I, I followed with this, and this is to your credit as a church. I said, but I tell you what, we're not affirming. But if your child came into this church, they're welcome here. They're not welcome to become a member but they are welcome to explore in this community what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like and how our desires should be ordered according to God's word and how God will change people's hearts. And in part, you'll see it in this community. And so I gave that invitation. I'm still giving that invitation if you're live streaming this morning, and you're the one who, who called me, come and see how loving this congregation is, and at the same time, how uncompromising. You see, the challenge for us as a church, and as we open the Life Center, this is a monumental occasion in our church, and I want to talk about really who we are as a church, and you know who we are? We are uncompromising in the truth, absolutely, not going to give an inch. And we are called to effervesce love at the same time. Effervesce, bubble over in love for people. That's really what we're going to talk about. How do we exist as a church that is uncompromising, hard-nosed, stubborn in the truth, won't give an inch, won't compromise, but at the same time, 
effervescing in love for people who are fellow sinners struggling. You see, the thing is, when we talk about homosexuality and some other sins, people will only be convinced there is a different way if they come into a church community and they see the people's love for each other and for God and for sinners. You see, this person changed their theology in part because they saw love. It works the other way, too. If people see and come into our church and they feel the warmth and they know that we love people, even the ones we disagree with, even our enemies, as we're encouraged to love here in this passage, if they see that, that is the most powerful apologetic in this generation. You know what apologetics are. Apologetics, not saying we're sorry, but apologetics are an attempt to convince someone of something. And I want to tell you, I do not believe in apologetics anymore. Why is that? Because what happens is you're having a conversation with someone and you're saying, well, um, let me tell you about God. And this, this is the age in society we're living in. They call time out and say, which God are you talking about? It's almost impossible to establish rational, logical dialogue with people in 2022. So what do we have instead? We have an apologetic capital A that is known as the love of our community to convince people. In this generation, it is more convincing if you live your theology, if you walk the talk, then you can philosophically and rationally and propositionally explain to people what the truth is. Francis Schaeffer was on to this. He's one of my favorite theologians. He was on to this early on when he wrote a book called The Mark of a Christian. The Mark of a Christian. And he said, essentially in this book, that love is the mark of a Christian. We know that because of John 13, 35. Jesus says, by this all people will know you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And Francis Schaeffer said, this is the final apologetic, the most powerful one. That when rational explanation of the truth and pointing out to people their philosophical inconsistencies, when all that fails, the most powerful communication and apologetic for the truth is our love for each other. Because there is no explanation for it, how we, can, how we different people, can get along. It's only supernaturally explained because of what Christ has done for us. So I'm encouraging you here to demonstrate love that we would live into our future in this monumentous day as we open the Life Center, that you would be uncompromising in the truth. You wouldn't give an inch, and you would be known as the most loving people around. 
this effervescing love, this love that just bubbles over because we love people, that that would be expressed in our church. Well, how are we going to get there? What is this? How is this love to be demonstrated? Let's go to our text. And what I'm going to show you first is that this love is demonstrated in the love that we have for each other. This is in verses 9 through 13. Now look at verse 9. We get this command, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And this is important because when we're talking about love, we're not talking about friendliness. We're not talking about sort of the southern drippy, oh, you know, so good to see you, and then I'm going to walk off and, and cut you down. We're talking about genuine love for other people that is sincere, true, and real. And part of that love is joined to the next phrase in verse 9, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You see, the genuine love is governed by not tolerating sin, and not tolerating effort, uh, uh, tolerating these different um, beliefs. The love is genuine in part because we hold to the truth, we abhor, we hate what is evil, and we hold fast to what is good. You see, it is not loving. In that, back to that telephone call I had last August, it's not loving to to affirm that which God hates. That is, not, that is not the loving thing. And so this love is genuine because it has with it the abhorrence of that which God hates and destroys lives and then holding fast to what is good. This love that we ought to have for each other is characterized, verse 10, by brotherly affection. So there is a familial aspect to this love that God's people should have for one another. There is affection, love being expressed in affection for each other and familially, brotherly, because we're in it together and we're on the same team. And this manifests, this brotherly affection manifests itself, look at verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine what our society would be like? Oh, just, just imagine with me. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, imagine society where people were falling all over themselves not to insult each other, but to respect each other. To respect each other. That's what showing honor is. Can you imagine a community of people on this earth? This is what the church is called to be, where even though we disagree about different issues that maybe aren't primary to our theology, we would still respect each other in the midst of our differences. Verse 11 calls us here, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, that we would be enthusiastic, that we would be encouraging in our love. Fervent in spirit means, that's that effervescing part. Fervent in spirit literally means boiling over in spirit. That it, 
this wonderful love is flowing out of us, and it's in the midst of that love that we're serving the Lord. Now, I want to pause there for a minute because you can tell something here. There are 30 commands in this passage. 30. That's a lot, isn't there? All of these commands are based on, if you go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, what is the appeal by? By the mercies of God. Notice this, that the empowering grace of God leads us to this ethical behavior that we are called to. We are called to be empowered by the gospel by the mercies of God. And notice the mercies are plural. They're experienced in so many different ways. His mercy is new every morning, yes. And His mercy is new at noon. And His mercies are new in the afternoon and night. And some of those mercies are talked about. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So justification is one of these mercies of God. Union with Christ. The fact that our identity has been changed and we've been united to Christ is one of the mercies of God. This is in Romans 6, 4. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then in that favorite chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, where do we see the mercies of God that empowers us to do that which God requires because we know we cannot do it in our own strength? Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We cannot express the wonder of this love unless we have experienced first the love of God for sinners. You see, we are made in God's image. And if we are going to love fellow sinners, part of being made in God's image, Genesis 1.27, means that we transcribe, we showcase, we example, and we write God's character into society and into this created order. And what is his character? To love. To love. And so when we love others, even those who hate us, even those who persecute us, we are living out in the image of God. And this is what empowers us to love people is the work of God in loving, in the experience of love that we have through the gospel, that we were unacceptable and unlovely, and God loved us and sent His Son for us. And in the experience of that love, you know, if, if you ever think to yourself, how can, how can I love that person? They are infuriating to me. How can I love them? In the same way God loves you, that's how. Don't think for a moment, and we get that injunction uh, later about being haughty. Don't ever think that it was not difficult for God to love us. 
And so when we love those who are different from us, we live out the image of God and we showcase what it is like, who God is, and what it is like for Him to love sinners when we love fellow sinners. So back to our passage then, equipped with the gospel of grace, verse 12, we rejoice in hope, we be, we're patient in tribulation, we're constant in prayer. Now, verse 12 is certainly apt, and the answer, you know, when, when people are saying, oh, oh, what is this world coming to? What are we, we going to do? Anybody ever ask that? Here's what you do. Verse 12, Romans 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Tribulation, the word for suffering there, we're called to endure suffering. Be constant in prayer. What are we going to do? We're going to Romans 12, 12 it. That's what we're going to do. And then you read in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you tithe to the church, if you give to the church, then you are contributing to our deacon fund. We have a fund that contributes to the needs of the saints. The deacons get in there. If some member of our church has a physical need, our deacons will seek them out and assist them financially, contribute to their needs, and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is making room for someone making room for someone. How will those sinners who think the church and the gospel is not for them, how will they ever get a sense of the magnitude and the wonder of the gospel unless we are hospitable to them? Understanding that anyone is welcome to come into the doors of this church. It's as wide open as the gospel. Membership is a different story. But coming and visiting and gaining a sense of the wonder of the love and community, that's what we showcase here through our hospitality, making room. You know, I was shopping one time in a gift, gift store somewhere. We were traveling. And uh, they had this oven mitt. I don't know if you can see that. But they ha it's an oven mitt with a design on it. And there's a little girl, and she's curled up to her horse, you know. And you, you horse lovers, maybe you understand this a little better. You know, she's got her little cowboy boots on, and the horse is kind of hugging her with his neck. And, and it says, I hate everyone, too. <laughs> I hate everyone, too, is what the girl is whispering in the horse's ear. And you know, sometimes you feel that way, don't you? Because really, the most damaging, painful sins we usually experience are the ones that come to us. And a lot of times, the deepest hurt in life comes to us through other people. Through other people. And so it would be easy to have that attitude. And to say that we hate other people, or if, if people would just leave me alone, I'd be fine. And God calls us instead to recognize, in some sense, 
that hatred for those who are made in his image is not the way to go. And part of what we're called to in this life, even though we may have that tendency to say, I hate people, (laughs) I hate people too, even though we might be infuriated by those God has called us to live among, this is for our sanctification. This is for God's glory that we get along with people we don't agree with and that we respect them. And part of what is required from us is this radical hospitality, to be close and near to those we deeply disagree with and not to be reactive to it. To be able to declare the truth and to be uncompromising in it and at the same time have a closeness and a relationship that showcases God's love to that person. How will anyone ever be convinced that the homosexual lifestyle is not the way to go unless we are a church that says, come in and you will see something different here, demonstrated for you, that there is another way. There is the biblical way. And so it matters Here's the application. It matters how we talk to each other about things. You know, there's a lot of controversial topics out there, and it matters how you all talk about those things among yourselves. Because part of the deal is, in a a church this size, I can testify to this, there is a variety of of different beliefs. And in particular, what I'm talking about is what's called in Greek the adiaphora. The adiaphora are the things that are indifferent. These are not the core issues of the gospel. When we talk about the things that are indifferent, especially as it regards to COVID-19, we need to have a sensitivity about that. Because we may be convinced of something, but I want to tell you that in this church, we have people all over the map. And you don't know who's listening in. And our attitude in discussing these things ought to carry with it a deep love for each other, a genuine interest in people, seeking to show hospitality and demonstrating this genuine love, even for those who disagree with us politically. Did you know, and this is something that's hard, Hard for us to hear. People have left this church over disparaging conversations that they have had that have denigrated their own beliefs. You know, when we're talking about these these issues in our society about different topics or politically, if we do so in a way that disparages the other side, then it strikes at the unity of our church and the love we're meant to demonstrate. Because people can get confused. They can think, well, I have to believe that way. Again, we're talking about the things indifferent. I have to believe that way to hear the gospel or to embrace Christianity. And my point in telling you this is, you know, those There's a lot of differences that people have and they still love Jesus and they still walk in God's way. 
and we need to make room for the differences and understand that if somebody disagrees with us on really important topics, that God the Holy Spirit will convince them. And in part, He can use us as we love and exemplify that. So watch your comments. Watch over your heart in how we discuss things. Move towards those who offend you and learn from them and love them in the midst of that. Now, the next point here, we're talking about people who disagree with us. We're talking about loving our enemies, loving our enemies. And maybe, maybe people who disagree with you aren't your enemies, but look at this in verse 14. Part of how this love effervesces is not only we love the easy people, but we love those who persecute us. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, you may think for a moment, oh, the Apostle Paul, he's just, he's just right. This is just wonderful theory. It's all theoretical, and it's easy for him to say. One year before writing Romans, approximately one year, he writes this in 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. He recounts autobiography here. And this is what he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. That's what he experienced at the hands of the Jews. In part. And what does he say about his heart for the Jews? Look over in Romans 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Here it is, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers my kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jews. How did they treat him? Stoned, beaten, persecuted him, shouted him down, opposed the truth, and yet, so this is not theoretical. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. An incredible love that he had, even for the difficult people in his life. Verse 15, back to Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We're called to meet people emotionally where they're at. This is empathy that we express for people that we don't tell people, hey, you just need to get over it. We meet them in the midst of their emotions, their difficulties, their triumphs. We meet them where they're at and we walk with them in that. And part of doing that enables us, verse 16, to live in harmony with one another. The thing which endangers our harmony is our pride. So that's addressed in verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Don't you love how we believe our own press? We believe our own press. Verse 17, again with this context of the persecution the Apostle Paul 
would have experienced, did experience. He says, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorably in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not every relationship can be reconciled because reconciliation requires both parties to come to an agreement. But what he's saying is, do what is necessary on your part so that you're not the one who is giving offense. And then verse 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What this is about, this is about a trust in the fact that God will triumph, that the victory belongs to Jesus. And because it does, we can have confidence with how the Lord will work out his justice. We don't have to exact vengeance or revenge because that's the pathway to bitterness. How the Apostle Paul wrote this, having experienced the lashings and the stoning. You know, he doesn't even mention here in Romans, he doesn't say, let me tell you my tale of woe and what I experienced. He skips over all that. He doesn't tell an offense story, a grievance story. Instead, he just instructs. They knew his background, and that's what had power. But we can trust. The one who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, we can trust. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy 32, 35. We can trust in a God who can set all things right. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What's the meaning there? Because we're like, oh, I want to I heap burning coals on their head. That's not the attitude to go into here with this verse. But what it means is, is that our behavior would be so godly, so exemplary, that in the midst of being persecuted, it would bring down judgment. God's judgment, here pictured as the coals, a purifying judgment on the one who is doing the persecuting. That our behavior would be so exemplary, even in the challenging situation of being dealt with unfairly and being wronged and being persecuted, that it would cause shame in the persecutor and convict them. And it is a way of experientially sharing the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Anytime you and I treat people as they do not deserve, we are treating them as God has treated us. Bless those who persecute you. Is that not what our Savior did on the cross? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Extending the way of salvation to those who persecuted the Savior of the world. Having a faithful trust that vengeance belongs to God, not to us. It all leads to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When God's people have such a faithful trust in the way God will work and set everything right, we together overcome evil. And there's a lot of evil in this world, is there not? But we will overcome this evil not through our own efforts, but through the love that we have 
for our persecutors, for those who ridicule us, those who try to exclude us from the halls of power, the times that we receive injustice, we will overcome, not tit for tat, but we will overcome evil with good. Christians should be the least entitled people in the world because we have received from God that which we did not deserve, His mercies. This is how we are uncompromising in the truth. I'm not going to give a millimeter away. But at the same time, I'm going to effervesce with love that sinners might come in and meet Jesus. This is who we aspire to be as individuals. This is who we aspire to be as a church today in 2022 and always. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have demonstrated to us love most fully in Jesus Christ. And we pray that together as your people, we might image you. We might reflect your wonderful character by the love that we have for each other and the love we have for our enemies and for those who oppose the gospel. We pray that in the conversations we have with each other, you would help us to use wisdom and humility. Continue to make us a warm church that is hospitable to sinners. And we pray that even those who oppose us, we would not be embittered, but instead would trust that you will repay and that justice will be done. We pray all this would happen, that you would get the glory, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.